couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. I love that theme song so much, I don't have the heart to tell him that he got the premise wrong. Welcome back to Wheel of Randy, everybody. Every week we discuss a couple of Randy Newman songs. First one is the pick of my guest, then we spin the wheel and talk about one at random. Wheel of Randy is part of the Good Trash Media Podcast Network and is brought to you by Wade Engineering. Stay tuned after the show for a message from Wade Engineering. Spoiler alert, it's just me. Let's start the show. It's Wheel of Randy. We've got Samantha Crane with us today. Thanks for coming, Samantha. Yeah, thank you. Samantha is a <laughs> Oklahoma musical institution. Does that, that doesn't give you too big a head, does it? Wow, it doesn't give me a big head, but it gives me it like puts a lot of pressure on me and I don't like being put under pressure so I'm gonna have to like forget you said that <laughs> well uh I first stumbled on your music just a couple of months ago and kind of wishing that I'd gotten to know it earlier because I am really enjoying uh what you've been putting out thanks Samantha is an Oklahoman like me I guess I'm an Oklahoma I've been here and your new record is called a small death and sounds i've been reading there there's quite a personal history behind this one looks like you've had a rough couple of years yeah i know the title of the record sounds like super ominous (laughs) um and yeah i do deal with a lot of kind of tough things on the record a lot of the songs came out of a really hard time in my life but i think overall it it is actually a pretty hopeful record in that it's it's written from the perspective of sort of being able to move through that and um basically uh around 2017 when I put out my last record I was I kind of had a bunch of stuff happen at once I I've always had issues with carpal tunnel and tendonitis and have always kind of struggled with that but it's up until that point it was like pretty manageable um but yeah around the time that my last record came out I was in like three car wrecks all in the period of a summer um just like right in a row and I like to always preface that with like I'm not a bad driver I was hit all three times so like I just just like to say that so people don't think that I shouldn't be driving around um so there was just like that really crappy you know physically and financially debilitating car wrecks and then um basically just sort of a bunch of other barrage of problems like my family was sort of falling apart my health was declining pretty rapidly just because of various like substance abuse issues and then um my personal life was sort of in shambles too. And then on top of that, you know, getting to the point where my hands weren't even working anymore because of um, the exacerbation of my like existing ailments from these car wrecks. And so you're a guitarist as well as a singer, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like, I have to be able to play instruments in order to write, or at least I did at that point, I hadn't done anything other than that. And I mean, mainly I'm, I make my living by touring and performing. And so that was kind of completely off the table for me because I I couldn't even play a chord on a guitar, let alone make my way through an hour long set. So um, I just sort of was in this really awful position for um, about a year where I was just at at home and trying to uh, work through a lot of this with various therapies. And, um, it was just like a really dark time for me because I didn't really, I felt really lost and like, didn't really know what to do. And so, um, eventually, you know, I began to recover just through like various different 
uh, mental and physical therapies and then ended up at the tail end of this time writing uh, all of these songs that were sort of as I was unpacking with and, and dealing with various traumas like in my in my past um, the songs sort of became the the vehicle for for moving on from that so and and those songs became this record so it sounds like for you know at least a, a, a year there you're in a, a, a tough place where you're there's a lot of you know the physical pain but it, it also you're trying to wrestle with the, what the new you looks like she won't mind me talking about this but my wife went through a real similar situation she had a a real uh, uh rough cancer battle that she made it through but it knocked her out for a good year man and she started really getting into Frida Kahlo at that point and, and saying, well, if I'm going to be in this pain, it's going to be an artistic pain at least. Yeah, I wish that I had that mindset. Honestly, I, I might have, it might have helped me move through it. I unfortunately didn't really start getting, doing anything productive with it until I was almost through it so well you know uh, it's all about taking care of yourself it's not it's not like you know these people that say oh it's a quarantine time to write my king lear (laughs) well i mean different i think different people use art for different purposes in their life so like i think some people that use uh maybe like this quarantine time or times in their life where they feel a bit confused or or trapped or just sort of lost like making art helps them process that and and then there's other people which I would consider myself in to be more in this camp which is that I spend a lot of time processing things um, just apart from anybody or anything and then I create to sort of move on from that like as a as a form of catharsis so Mm. I, I think you know, everybody's got their own, their their own ways that they are trying to make sense of the world. So I, I don't think I really thought about that until all this quarantine stuff started happening, because I realized that there was a lot of people that were getting a lot of work done all of a sudden. And I was just so like, I don't even know what's going on yet. I haven't even processed what's going on. There's no way I can like make something about this. But it just occurred to me that, you know, different people use create creativity for different reasons it seems like kind of in cruel timing just when this record is out and you're ready to tour again the world shuts down how closely are you monitoring the situation at what point do you start saying it's worth the risk to get out there and and start performing uh honestly i'm not really monitoring it very closely i i'm not trying to be like ahead of the curve um on this i'm I'm going to let everyone else sort of be the guinea pigs. I'll wait and see how things go. Um, yeah, I don't, I just don't want to be, I don't want to do something that could be potentially harmful or irresponsible, like in a public health sort of situation. So I'm, I'm laying pretty low still. I'm going to have to just get creative with, you know, paying the bills and stuff. But I mean, it's nothing I haven't done in the past because I'm a musician for Christ's sake. So um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm, yeah, I'm just going to kind of like let it play out. I'll be the, I'll be in the, the last sort of train car of musicians out there playing shows again, I think. (laughs) I'm sure it'll be worth the wait. Let's talk about a couple of these songs on a small death because they they do seem so personal and they do seem like you're really opening yourself up. The the one that I keep going back to over and over again is Joey. And that that's kind of where the the album's title comes from. You've got that line a hundred small deaths, a hundred before, I'm a revolving door. Tell me, tell me about Joey. Tell me how this song came about. Uh, 
so Joey, Joey's a friend of mine that I've had for about 13 years. He's, um, we've kind of been in each other's orbit for a while. Um, he's toured with me. He's produced a record for me. He's, um, at times we've been like strangers for a good portion of time. Sometimes we've been like confidants and been really close, but we've just sort of watched and leaned on each other through all of these different stages of life. And I, I just feel like there's something really special about a friendship where you don't have to sort of give any background information. Like they already know the, the context that you exist in because they have experienced it just along with you. And so um, I think the song in itself, I sort of just wrote as like I was going to write a letter to him one night and I ended up not really sending it as a letter, but it turned into the song. Um, and it's the reason I, I ended up taking that lyric into the title of the record is because it really captured this thing that I think the majority of the record is about, which is just like this feeling that you've lived so many different lives, this like feeling of constant reincarnation that like every every once in a while like there's just like a power surge and everything goes off and reboots all of a sudden and you're just kind of sat there going like wait I didn't I wasn't ready for this to all like start over again like everything's just kind of like always starting over again all the time and you just I sort of have to absolutely like... <laughs> can relate to that yeah exactly um and that's what yeah that's what the song is sort of um trying to convey uh that feeling to a friend that has kind of seen you through all of those different like reincarnations um and understands i guess the just the context that you exist in and and uh yeah that's what the song's about yeah let's talk about when we remain this is such a beautiful song I, I assume it's sung in Choctaw. Is that the name of the language? Yeah, it's it's in Choctaw, yeah. It's in Choctaw. Um, oh, okay, help me translate. <laughs> tell, tell, tell me what it's about, because just as a, a, a listening experience, it, it's wonderful. But uh, what, are, what are you saying in this one? Yeah, so... I guess just like a, a bit of like background information before I kind of give the translation of it. Um, the reason that I've sort of gotten into writing in the language of my ancestors has mainly been because I think like the survival of indigenous languages is is sort of the most empowering thing for young indigenous people. Um, people that feel like they exist on one side of a chasm, like between their relatability of the trans, the traditions and um, sort of culture of their ancestors. They feel like it's so far away because they were, I mean, through no fault of their own, like we're talking about hundreds of years of genocide and land removal and government schooling um and so they basically we have like whole generations of indigenous people who don't feel um that close with their their history and and don't really have a way to get a hold of that um and so because of that they're sort of losing their their I, their space as being able to claim that as an identity. And so for me, I think it's really important um, in, in order to sort of gain the confidence to claim that for yourself again. Uh, language is a really useful tool, I feel like, for you to be able to say, um, you know, if I write a poem or if I write a song or if I make a painting or if I even cook a meal, like that is Choctaw because I am Choctaw, not because it meets some some sort of uh, ideal or uh, I guess romanticized version of what like a colonial idea of what Native American art looks like or something like that. Like it's just whatever you're making, whatever you're doing 
is Choctaw because you are Choctaw. Sort of to just like reclaim that identity, I think. And language, I, I think, really gives, um, it remembers all of that sort of innately, like in a very, <laughs> like voodoo spiritual way, I think. Um, so the- did, did you grow up speaking Choctaw in the home? I, I just like learned very basic words, like from my grandma and my dad, like they would just sort of teach me basic stuff, like um, how to say hello and goodbye and Merry Christmas and happy birthday, you know, just all the like sort of basic stuff. I, when I started becoming more interested in it and seeing this as a really important tool and, and like a foothold and like the survival of, of this, I started teaching myself through the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma actually has a really good language program that's like a really important part of their um, of like tribal cultural um, activities. So they they host workshops all over the country. Um, they have actual language schools that you can take online, which is what I do and have done. Um, so yeah, they make it pretty accessible if you want to learn the language, which I think is really great. Um, but yeah, so with all that in mind, that's kind of where the idea for the song came because I kind of wanted to write like a Choctaw version of something like that old protest song, um, We Shall Overcome, that, that like Pete Seeger used to play at like all the sort of 60s protest um things like out in new york and just something that we could sort of like sing through our hardships and into our our victories and like survival as a lasting tribe of people so um i guess like just like from a translation um standpoint it's it's kind of rough because like it's more of a verb heavy language than English. So you kind of have to like change the way that you're, I guess, think, thinking about language, if, if that makes sense. Um, but when we remain um, is sort of like the, the tagline, but it basically translates into when we remain, we will not be like the, the bones of a forgotten city it, like for instance like if you walk into like a jungle and you see you find like a like a lost city or something like um, Mayan ruin exactly so, yeah. Yeah, yeah um when we remain we will be the the flowers and the trees and the vines that overcome the forgotten city we have woven ourselves into the cloth of the earth and we have mixed our breath into the expanding sky so it's kind of just about like the way people talk about Native American cultures as being sort of this dead or dying thing. And this song is in response is saying, we can't die, we can't be dying, we can't be forgotten because we are, we are the earth. Like we, we are woven into every aspect of the present day. And so we can never be lost or forgotten so which i think is true of of all indigenous peoples um around the globe so yeah that's do you what think that about. do you think that indigenous i that attitude about indigenous people is evolving i i grew up outside of oklahoma and so you know, o oklahoma <laughs> though I don't use the word enlightened much, it, it, it has a, a much, much better attitude toward, toward Native people than, than what I had on the East Coast. Um, you, you travel all over the country and internationally. Are, are you seeing that attitude toward Indigenous people evolving? I think in a way it is, but it's still like very early in that, in that healing journey, I think. Like it's, it, it's evolving in that people are, are realizing that like they've been treated awfully um, and they've been robbed and murdered and, you know, like they're, they're seeing the injustices of it. But I don't think that 
the majority of people are on to sort of the next step of of understanding like I don't I don't think the average like person living in North America would think to themselves every morning when they wake up like I am a guest here yeah. like I am a here because there are people that are like letting me live here like they're not um yeah I guess like just just sort of like really understanding the the uh, just like innate uh existence of like indigenous cultures around the world and what they <laughs> i don't even know how to like explain it it's um it's sort of the same thing that's probably happening with like black lives matter stuff right now i think like people like the attitude is changing because people are understanding the injustices but they haven't like moved on to the next step of of sort of just like understanding the systems that like allowed that to happen and and being able to say okay all of this is the reason why people are are treated unjustly and being able to say like we just have to like strip it down from zero again and that's like a really hard thing i think for people to wrap their heads around for me it's not just because like it makes sense to me like my ancestors were were living and thriving in civilizations that had before col colonialism you know so it's just sort of i i guess like i maybe just like vibe with it a little bit more just from a i don't know genetic standpoint or something i don't even know what it is but it sounds like fine to me i know it's like a hard thing to wrap your brain around sometimes but yeah I think it's a journey. It's a, it really is like a journey. And I think people are sort of on the right path. They just have to like keep digging. They, they can't like stop um, once they, they feel like they've sort of just like landed on the top of the iceberg. They just have to like keep digging and digging and digging, I think. I remember one time my mama were somewhere and this uh, an encounter with, you know, someone in her family, an aunt or something, uh, that, that had you know, very antiquated racist attitudes. And I remember us driving home and she said, Daniel, some people just need to die first. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, that's an interesting point of view, I think. I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a big thing that I think people don't think about too much about there being like many, many, many civilizations before you existed. We're such like a egocentric per people. And it's really yeah. hard yeah. to be able to say, oh, civilizations have like come up and fallen down over and over and over um, before us. And it's like shocking when we find ourselves in the midst of it, I think. Um, like we could technically just be in a spot where everything comes crumbling down and we, we forget to think that sometimes like, oh, things don't necessarily have to go back to normal. Like we could have just happened to have been born and living in a time when everything's gonna get like wiped out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that could, people might be dying, who knows? <laughs> I enjoy listening to your music so much and I found myself playing a guessing game and, and instead of me hazarding a guess, I'm just going to ask you, uh, growing up, what were some musical influences for you? What, what did you listen to that made you decide you wanted to be a musician? Um, well, I had kind of a weird introduction to music, I think. I grew up in a really religious household, so um, most of the music that I was listening to was Christian music like at first um there was like a radio station in Oklahoma City called I think it was 91 FM maybe oh man they played some edgy Christian stuff at night <laughs> yeah 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 like that was the thing is it was actually kind of a cool time for Christian music like if I remember correctly um because stuff could kind of be just like vaguely spiritual and it also had this weird tie-in with just the DIY scene. So like 
a ton of bands just so they could like play shows would just kind of like claim to be sort of like Christian just so they could like play in these like church church basements. Uh Um, So it was it was actually kind of a cool just like underground scene I think like I um I didn't ever feel like it was super like preachy um it was more I felt philosophical even in times like it was just like about getting to know yourself and like what your I think um what your desires and like uh temptations and all of these sorts of things so I mean it was very much like that personal relationship with Jesus sort of music I guess but there was a lot of like cool punk music coming out of that and like if you were into like emo music which I was that was like a thing um like hardcore emo screaming stuff like that and which I was like very into and I loved going to those shows they felt like so dangerous to me which I like loved so much (laughs) um so I mean but I also grew up listening to like the stuff that my parents were listening to like from a from there was like this thing in the 70s called the Jesus movement which was like this yeah um, California like Laurel Canyon version of um yeah you're talking to a major Keith Green fan yeah Keith Green Larry Norman uh Randy Matthews like uh I think even Paul Stuckey, like from Peter, Paul and Mary did some Uh stuff that was like vaguely like that. And then um, second chapter of Acts and then like getting into even the more like hair band stuff like Petra and um, yeah. Striper. Striper. Yeah. That kind of stuff. So like my, my dad like listened to all that stuff. And then in addition to that was really big into like Bob Dylan, Paul Simon uh Joni Mitchell Neil Young so like any of the 70s sort of like folk folk rock stuff um so I had a pretty good I think breadth of stuff that I was introduced to at first and then the Christian music that I was listening to like in middle school and like in my early teens sort of started morphing because like Christian music stopped like 91 FM sort of like started turning into more of like what we think of as like praise and worship music, I guess. Yeah. They got bought out by some national network. Yeah. And I guess like Christian music in general started just becoming this really like corporate, like, um, I guess, I don't even know. It's like the, all the Hillsong stuff, like the more the praise and worship, like, um, that kind of stuff. And so, I was just like not into that at all like I didn't and I was also sort of at that point I think probably questioning a lot more about like what I believed in my um my relationship to that and so I just started kind of following the bands that because a lot of the Christian like um like hardcore bands and punk bands would tour with bands that weren't necessarily like Christian bands at that point too so I just started like moving into different um avenues from that and then from there I kind of got into bands like um I don't know like the Mars Volta I think was probably like pretty big to me and then there was like this whole string of um like slightly Christian sort of bands like Love Drug and like the format and Copeland and like color revolt they all had like this vaguely like spiritual sort of thing about them um and then that led me down like into uh the napster hole of like finding just bands based on i don't even know how i would find stuff of just like if you like this you might like this um mixtapes and sharing you could like share libraries on like limewire or something like that i think so I would just literally like sit in my room and like find music that I like. I think that probably like led me to like Saddle Creek Records at the time. So, you know, Bright Eyes and um, The Faint and and then that took me down into the whole like 
indie music thing like Death Cab for Cutie and um, you know Rogue Wave I don't know I just sort of it was just like this whole crazy evolution which eventually I feel like I just listened to everything um, because everything just led to something else um, so I can't say <laughs> with much certainty like what my influences were because I just was sort of like a magpie I think like I would listen to anything um and then some of it stuck and some of it I just like sort of slipped through my ears but um I I feel like a bit of a mixed bag <laughs> nothing wrong with that yeah let's talk a little Randy yeah Randy Newman <laughs> why don't you tell the the good folks listening uh what song you've picked for us today yeah, so one of the, a Randy Newman song that I have on like several playlists that I love to listen to when I'm like on a walk um, is a song called I Think It's Going to Rain Today. We'll, we'll put a link up for the audience to listen to. Now, is there a particular recording? Um, he did one on his songbooks, and then I think his, his first album back in like 69 had a version. Is there a particular version you'd like people to listen to? Um, well, let me look and see. The one that I listened to is off of a 1968 record, just like a self-titled Randy Newman record. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's actually an interesting recording because, like, the vocals are mixed really low. So you, like, have to listen to it a couple of times to, like, understand what he's saying. But, I keep wondering if they're going to remaster that because that was out of print for a long, long time. Oh, okay. Yeah, they probably should. It, it could use a remaster, I think. <laughs> oh, gosh, this is such a sad song. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you'll pull up the chat window, I've posted the lyrics there if we want to look at something in particular. But, you know, there are plenty of you know, mopey songs out there, but most of them aren't done well. And there's something about this that, that kind of sets it apart. I'm not a songwriter. I'd love to hear your perspective as a songwriter about what makes this thing work. Well, it's an interesting song because um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's actually pretty vague in terms of Randy Newman songs, I think. Like, um, it's kind of unclear what he's even talking about. Because there's, like, these lyrics that um, he's, like, they're so, like, dark and grimy. Um, talking about broken windows and empty hallways. Um but then he just like slips in this little thing that's like human kindness is overflowing. And then it just goes back into like this gloom, like I think it's going to rain today. And that's yeah. how the whole song is. Like it it just paints these like really awful, like the world is sucks sort of like lyrics. And then he just like slips in this human kindness is overflowing. And I wonder if like the the point behind that is is um is some sort of like personal philosophy of yes like the world is gross and dirty and grimy and um hard to like stand sometimes but human kindness somehow um makes it worth living or makes it worth uh pushing through and will will sort of like help us all in 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 the meantime he's he's just got sort of like a way of being able to do that uh melancholy as well like he he has that about him i don't i don't know what it is um but he can do melancholy like really well. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's something about the production of the song that's really interesting too. At least this version that I listen to, it's just like piano and voice. And then it moves into just voice and 
string orchestra. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the stripped down nature of it just makes it that much more affecting. Because um, you're really just focusing on his voice. Because half of the time you can't even understand what he's saying almost because like I said the vocals are mixed really low and he's kind of singing in this really like unaffected like dead sort of tone um which is intentional I I think it's got to be yeah it's got to be intentional um and and so you're really having to like focus on just that feeling of like helplessness I think so that's why the song is so interesting to me because mainly just because of this one lyric human kindness is overflowing like the whole song is so downtrodden but he just keeps saying human kindness is overflowing it just sticks out like a sore thumb and i've just always found the song to be really interesting and for that reason mainly because i i don't understand like what he was going for (laughs) Um, i'd always assumed it and the other way and I'm, I give myself permission to be wrong here, but it, to me, it comes down to that sign that he sees near the end, a, mm. a religious sign of some sort to help the needy and show them the way. I can't help but wonder if he's seeing all these messages saying the kindness is there, uh, not just in the in the religious sign, but also in the the pretty mannequins, that that there's a superficial message that kindness is around, but he just doesn't see it. Oh, interesting. See, I always assumed like the that lyric, the scarecrows dressed in the latest styles with frozen smiles. Like to me, I always saw that as like a really uh, sort of like not like a Stepford Wives sort of thing. Like it was like um, oh, yeah. the the absence of human kindness, like the absence of soul. That's what I always like read that that part as. But I that's really interesting. I never thought about it as like it being a positive thing. Huh. Um, yeah, I think I, I do know that last verse though, whenever he says like, um, the signs to help the needy and show them the way like that, that does sort of bring out that human kindness um, sort of idea a little bit more. Um, But yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's just about like the duality of life, how like it all like is coexisting at the same time. And it's just sort of like up to you to like, you know, is the glass is the glass half empty or is it half full? Like it's kind of like you get to decide what you're seeing or something. Yeah, musically, I enjoy this one as well. I, I've got the sheet music, and you know, I don't have the skills for that kind of thing. Because at some at one point, I think there's a a G minor ninth chord, and there, there's some there's some chromatic elements to this. That, that, show he knows what he's doing musically totally i mean he was always kind of like somebody that just used like the super vanilla chords like sort of like stephen foster like super vanilla like american songbook chords but then he would like modify them like pretty quickly so he'd like set you up for this like really basic chord structure and then he would just sort of modulate it really quickly so you could feel that emotion that he wanted you to fit feel really quickly like after he set up like the the layout of of the song so you get you get like all this information in a really quick uh moment where you're like okay chord structure this is how the song's going oh this is how i'm feeling oh this is how I'm feeling now you he he's really good at sort of giving you a ton of information in like a spread out sort of way but really quickly before the song really gets in that's interesting because i know he has this great economy of words that he can say a lot with just a few words but i'd never thought of it uh, communicating with the changes in the tone like that 
Yeah, yeah. Just by using like, I don't, what what chord did you say? I think it was a minor ninth sustained. I... Yeah. So I mean, he probably set up the song. I mean, I would have to like listen to it, but he probably like right at the intro of the song, he probably just set it up as a minor chord, and then probably pre I think pretty quickly once he starts singing he modulates that to like the minor ninth sustain. So it's still technically like in the same wheelhouse, you're still getting like the information of the song structure, like the chords that he set up, but he's giving you an, an additional like emotional information based on that like ninth sustain. It's chords are weird like that. <laughs> I, I, Learn just enough that I can appreciate. <laughs> Not a performer. One last thing I'd like to, to look at here is is this image of him kicking a can down the street. He says that's a way to treat a friend. Seems like a very bitter line. Oh my god, it's the saddest part of the song to me. Like <laughs> tin can at my feet think I'll kick it down the street. That's the way to treat a friend. Yeah, it just feels like so sad and so like autobiographical, like he must have felt what that is to be so sort of conquered, <laughs> um, so crushed by the way like a friend had treated him. Uh, yeah, that's like the saddest part of the song for me. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for bringing, I think it's going to rain today here, too. And it's time for us to spin the wheel. Awesome. I'm going to share my screen and pull up the wheel of Randy. And audience, you can go to my pinned tweet at Wheel of Randy, and you can play the home game. A hundred songs in rapid spin. All right, Samantha, just yell stop and we'll see where this lands. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. Okay, stop. Oh, damn, I thought it was going to be the Texas girl at her dad's funeral because I love that song. I love it, too. <laughs> uh, we That's come up... Uh, I think an episode or two before you, it landed on Texas Girl. Such a good song. Such a good song. All right. You've landed on Better Off Dead. Do you know this one? I don't think I do off the top of my head. Now, once I hear it, new. I might. Okay. All right. So let me, uh, audience, I uh, believe this is off the album Bad Love. I'll send a link out there. And... Samantha, give me a minute, and we will listen to this together. Bet my money on a bobtown drag all the yeah. dude all day. So good. So, more betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I've never heard that song. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was awesome. It's a, this whole album is a very bitter album came out right after his divorce and <laughs> you can tell yeah that feels like a divorce song for sure <laughs> better off dead than living with someone who's every word like a knife cut that cuts through you <laughs> yeah yeah i love that uh, forget your foolish dream but at the same time, it's it's got this. I wouldn't call it cheerful, but it's it, it's not a broody sound to it. No, it's kind of like a. Well, I mean, like so, it, any sort of bitterness has like its stages of of existence. Like there is like the really brooding, uh, miserable, sort of downtrodden. But then eventually, I think, well, and it doesn't always come after. Sometimes it comes before. There's that really, like, kind of bratty uh, thing where you're, you're just able to 
like your self-confidence is like a bit overblown and you're just like putting all of the blame on the other person, you know, it's kind of like bratty. Um, and that's kind of the vibe for this. Like maybe he's in sort of that bratty uh, point of, of uh, misery, which happens. I like how it has that, like the beat behind it is sort of like, feels like the, the like bossa nova demo on like a yeah. like casio keyboard you know like when you can just like select <laughs> your you're like i want this to be a bossa nova song and you just like hit the hit the like thing and it makes like drums and bass or whatever yeah based on that that's like what it felt like for me and i liked it i think it added to like the sauciness of it a little bit like yeah, yeah i love the I love the flutes on this. This this is an era where he's doing a lot of flute work. You hear it a lot on like Monsters Inc. and on Faust and on this record. He just loves playing with flutes like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I felt like um, it it for some reason reminded me of another song of his that I can't quite like figure out. I can't quite put my finger on it what it would have been but um he does this like sort of mischievous like mischievous version of heartbreak a few times like in his life I feel like yeah um and maybe it's like just his delivery his singing delivery I'm not sure what it is but he can do that really good um I love that lyric put some real mileage between yourself and the object of your love, my friend. Like that's really good. It's like so, so, so wordy. <laughs> like for, he, he does this like a couple of times, like he does these really like short lyrical ideas where it puts a lot of meaning into these really short phrases. And then he'll just decide to do a line that's just got way too many words in it. <laughs> yeah. That's what that one feels like for me. I think it's harder to put that mileage out there anymore. We're too connected anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you have to delete all of your social media accounts. I love how he uses the word ramifies. I had to yeah. look up what ramifies means. Yeah, um, I never one. heard that in a song before. It's, someone, uh, who, someone who treats you so badly, it ramifies your head. I'm not going to pretend I knew what that meant, but uh, Google tells me it means branching or offshooting. It makes your head go in all these different directions. Yeah, it scrambles you. Sc scrambles like you can't get your thoughts straight because you're, it's all scrambled and branched out. Fifteen-year-old me would have loved to use the word ramify in a poem. <laughs> For sure. I feel like the the lyrics, the little couplet, this feels like a very like Randy Newman couplet to me, but they make you feel all fat and fumbly, make you feel kind of dirty and flirty. Like he loves to do those, uh, those words that like sound, I mean, I guess those aren't really onomatopoeias, but, but no, on, not onomatopoeia isn't the right word. The, huh? What's the right, or maybe it is. Um, what's the name of a word that, sounds like what you're saying like whatever it means mm, i'm blanking out maybe it is onomatopoeia yeah because like cuckoo like cuckoo that's like an onomatopoeia yeah yeah so, that is so those those words aren't necessarily onomatopoeias but they the way that he sings them they feel like onomatopoeias like he's like fat and fumbly you know he says it like that where you, yeah, it's very evocative. No matter what he was saying, you would get that vibe. <laughs> it wasn't until I pulled the lyrics up that I'd ever noticed that he says dirty and flirty. It just yeah. passed right by me. You'd never think to use the word flirty there. No. It's good. I'm Yeah, I'm glad I heard this yeah. song. It's good. I like okay. it. Well, the wheel has been kind to you. Yeah. Samantha, we're going to wrap this up. Thank you so much for doing this. How can people get hold of you? Well, I don't want people to get in touch with me personally. They can What's find your my home music. address? 
um, they can, but my music is available pretty much anywhere. So you can find it on Bandcamp or Spotify or Amazon or at my own website is just samanthacrane.com. Um, but it's, it's in all the places. So it's not too hard to find. You just have to Google my name. Guys, it is definitely worth a listen. All right, well, we're going to wrap this up. Thank you so much. Oh, oh, I forgot something. Uh, we're going to do something called This Week's Cover. This Week's Cover. I almost forgot it. That's why I recommend a cover. And oh, cool. There is a version of I Think It's Going to Rain Today by UB40. And oh, interesting. It, it's, you know, typical UB40, that whole, that whole style, but uh, I'll add a link to that. It's, it's, it's a pretty groovy version. Wait, UB40, they're the ones that did red, wet, red wine, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Is it, yeah. does the version that they do have like a reggae feel like that? Yeah, it kind of does. It, it starts off with that tin can line and they, kind of do that as a prelude and then they hmm. get into interesting I'm, I'm sure reggae purists bristle yeah. at us calling it a reggae version but That's funny. it's ub4ed doing what ub4ed does put it that way so we'll put that link on for everybody. all right samantha thank you so much for coming of course thanks for having me well that's it for another week here at wheel of randy we are part of the Good Trash Media Network. Thanks to Matt Fraley for our theme song. You can find Matt's music at moternmedia.com. That's M-O-T-E-R-N. Thanks to Brian Mays for our artwork. Best way to reach Brian is on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. The background music we're listening to right now is Rock and Gravel by Sid Valentine's Patent Leather Kids. And I'm using it because it's public domain. Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. That's me. That's what I do during the day. I am a water and sewer engineer. I'm registered in Oklahoma and Texas. I'll register in your state if you ask nicely enough. Most of what I do is small town water and sewer engineering, but I specialize in hydraulic modeling. I build computer models for water systems, and that can help you plan your water systems more efficiently, and it can also help you with your homeowner's insurance. If you're a city official, you need a water model. Wade Engineering can be reached at 405-426-7634, and we would be happy to talk to you. We'll see you next week. Bye. It's Wheel of Randy.